You are tuning in to Amazing Discoveries in Bible Prophecy. Join us for this weekly, thought-provoking Bible prophecy series that gives hope in the midst of a troubled world. Discover how prophecy provides meaning, purpose, and life-changing truths that is guaranteed to transform your life. This is a pre-recorded, interactive Bible study, and we welcome you to join in and listen in. Well, tonight's study is uh, entitled Bowing to Babylon. This is a very interesting and important study. Uh, you all should have received the study guide uh, earlier today that was sent out via email. And so you should be able to uh, access that in your inbox uh, if you check your email. And so we'll go ahead and start now. And uh, we're going to start with a word of prayer before we begin. So let's take time to pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here this Monday evening. Lord, what a joy it is for us to gather together like this to study your word. We ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us and to give us wisdom. And we pray that you'll please help us to understand the truths regarding prophecy and how that relates to the times that we're living in so that we can be ready and to commit our lives fully to you before Jesus comes. Uh, bless our time together, we pray. Send your Holy Spirit to teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a look at uh, Revelation chapter 13. So if you guys have your Bible uh, with you, just go ahead and turn there. Revelation chapter 13. Um, as you're doing that, I'm going to share a little background story, an introduction story today. Uh, you probably remember the story from Daniel chapter 3 where in that chapter, uh, there was uh, three young men, three Hebrew worthies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were uh, being loyal to God. They were serving the courts of Babylon. But one particular day, King Nebuchadnezzar, he uh, erected a golden image for everyone to bow down to. And so this golden image was uh, placed in the plain of Dura, and the unveiling of this, of this image took place, and they were all given the command to bow down and worship this golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar brought up. And everyone that was present there on the plain of Dura bowed down as the king commanded, except for three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those three young men served the one true God, and they would not be swayed, even by the threat of death, to worship that golden image. They wanted, they knew who deserved true worship. It was, it was the one true God. And so they were the only ones standing. And of course, King Nebuchadnezzar was very enraged and he was very upset. And he decided to give these three Hebrew worthies who were exceptional young men in his courts. He knew who they were. He decided to give them a second chance. He said, okay, I'm going to give you a second chance. When the music plays, you can bow down. And, um, and so I'm going to disregard this, this first infraction. But if you'll bow down the second time, I'll, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. Uh, but, the, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, we're not going to bow down, king. You know, let it be known to you that we will not bow down to your image nor, nor uh, worship it. Because they, their hearts and their allegiance belong to God. 
King Nebuchadnezzar was enraged, and so he commanded that the boys be thrown into the fiery furnace. Of course, he commanded before that to heat the furnace seven times hotter. This is how angry he was, and he said, throw them into the fiery furnace, and he commanded them to do that. When they were thrown into the fiery furnace, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, uh, they were not writhing or screaming in agony and pain as a result of the flames consuming them. In fact, it was actually a very strange scene. They were walking about in the fiery furnace. And King Nebuchadnezzar was in awe, and everybody else was watching what was taking place. And they were all in awe of this, this manifestation of this strange phenomenon where these three men were thrown into the fiery furnace, but they are not writhing in agony and screaming in torment, but they're walking as if that nothing was happening. And on, on top of that, there was a fourth figure that was among them. And King Nebuchadnezzar said that that was the son of God. He looks like the son of God. And of course, we know that to be Jesus who was with those three Hebrew worthies. And Jesus is with us during any persecution that we may receive as a result of us being loyal and faithful to him. And that story I'm bringing up because that story is going to be repeated in our time where God's people are going to be tested whether their allegiance is going to be for God or whether it's going to be for man-made laws. And so we're going to take a look at our study today. And uh, we're looking at, at Revelation chapter 13. And our first question for today is, how does our story in Daniel 3 relate to Revelation? And so we're going to take a look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 15. And uh, perhaps we can get uh, Chase. I don't know if you're ready with that text. Maybe you can read that for us. Revelation chapter 13, verse 15. And let's see, what parallels do we see with this story in Daniel 3 to Revelation? And so Revelation 13, verse 15. It says, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be Okay. Very good. Thank you. So it says here, as many as would not worship the image of the beast, what would happen to them? They would be killed. Killed. Right? So this is a very serious uh, situation here. Uh, there's a command, there's a decree that everyone was to worship the image of the beast. And we see that in the last days, God's people will be forced once again to worship contrary to conscience, contrary to what the word of God says, or else they will be killed. And so this is very serious. Um, when, when this happens, it's, we're, we're living in very serious times. And so the decision is going to be made by everyone, whether we are going to be following the commandments of God or whether we're going to be following the commandments of men. And I pray that we will follow the commandments of God. Amen. Let's look at question number two. Amen. It says, what are the three angels' messages in Revelation chapter 14? Now, Revelation chapter 14 is the next chapter after 13. 
Uh, but Revelation 14 is a very important chapter. If you're not aware of it, but Revelation chapter 14 are the most important messages that is to go out to the whole world before Jesus comes. These messages are messages of warning. These messages are messages of mercy. These messages are to go out to the whole world. It's a global message. People to get them ready for Jesus' return and what they have to be aware of when they uh, are about to face the final tests in the closing scenes of Earth's history. It's all laid out here in Revelation chapter 14. So it's really important for us to take heed to these three important messages and how we can prepare for the tests that's going to come upon every single person on planet Earth right before Jesus comes. And we're all going to face that test. And Revelation chapter 14 tells us what's going to happen. But furthermore, it also informs us how we can be prepared. And so let's take a look at Revelation chapter 14. This is known as, in verse 6 through 12, this is known as the three angels' messages. And these angels are presenting these messages that are of utmost importance to all mankind. And so we're going to take a look at the first angel's message, which is found in Revelation chapter 6 through 7. And I'll just go through this quickly for the sake of time. But uh, let's go ahead and read verse uh, 6. It says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So in other words, this is a global message. This is a message that's supposed to go out to every person on every nation on planet earth. Uh, no one is excluded. This message is for everyone. And what does, it, what does this angel say? In verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and the earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And so... We see in Revelation chapter 14, verse 7, where it's talking about the first angel's message. It says, fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. We can unpackage this later in another study. We just don't have the time to unpackage this in depth now. But I want you to focus on the last uh, thing that this angel says. It says, worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. So in other words, this first angel is trying to direct people to true worship and who alone should we worship who alone should we worship go ahead and write in your chat or uh, state it out in your uh in unmute your mic say whatever it is who are we to worship brothers and sisters courtney says god very good yes we're supposed to worship god and god alone isn't that right would you agree with that and yes god karina says and i heard someone say amen praise the lord and so, yes, God alone is to be worshipped. Um, but we see in Revelation chapter 13, which we're going to go back later, there's a beast power. This beast power emerges, and this beast power, it says that all the world wondered after the beast, and all the world worshipped this beast power, which is not God. And so how can the whole world be worshipping or engaging in false worship to this beast power rather than God? And how can we be sure that we don't get sucked into that same deception? And so that's why we really need to understand what we're studying tonight. So the first angel's message is directing people to true worship. Because why? 
One of the tests in the last days is that many people will be involved in false worship. They'll be worshiping the beast. And so we need to be very careful not to do that. We need to be very careful that we don't fall into that uh, trap. And the second angel's message is in verse 8. Verse 8 says, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, we know Babylon is, uh, this is not talking about literal Babylon, but this is a spiritual Babylon. And if you know Babylon, Babylon was uh, a city that was completely opposite of God's city, Jerusalem. Uh, Babylon was completely different from, you know, where the, the people that inhabited Babylon were nothing like God's people in Jerusalem, who were his true people. And we see that it says that here that Babylon, spiritual Babylon, is fallen, is fallen. So in the state of Babylon is not good. It's a, it's a fallen state. It says that she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So no, in other words, Babylon is responsible for giving the whole nations of the world wine, intoxicating wine, wine that makes people inebriated, makes people unable to think clearly, makes people's minds clouded to the truth. And so we, this is contrast to the first angel's message where it says that the everlasting gospel is supposed to go out to the whole world, to every nation. But Babylon, she is making all the nations be intoxicated by this wine and they are, as a result, unable to discern right from wrong. They're in this cloudy haze where they cannot discern what is truth and error. And so this is a warning. If we do not take heed to the first angel's message, what will happen is that you will be susceptible to Babylon's wine. You'll be susceptible to Babylon's deception. And that is a very bad state to be in. You don't want to be in that fallen state as Babylon is and those who follow her. Uh, the third angel's message, it says in verse 9, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark on his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, the smoke of their torment ascendeth for ever and ever. They shall have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And so we see that the first angel is giving a warning that everyone should take heed to uh, when it's presented. If they don't take heed to that, the second angel's message is given as a second warning for those who have yet to respond. The third angel's message is a very serious warning, saying that the punishment that you can expect for receiving the mark of the beast and worshiping the beast is going to be a terrible punishment. You know, whenever you grow up as a child, you probably remember when your mother said to do something once and you disregarded it, she would repeat it again. And if she repeated again and you disregarded it the second time, and she had to repeat it a third time, you can be sure that trouble's coming. <laughs> and so this is the same situation here. We see that these three angels' messages are giving these warnings, first, second, and third. And you see that which, with each 
which each message there's more urgency there's more uh, appeal for people to respond and to make the right decision and to turn back to god with all their heart and so this is what uh, is at stake here the, the souls of many people and if they don't follow and take heed to these messages uh, they will be susceptible to the deception in the last days that will sweep the world um, like a storm and so the three angels messages um, are, are messages that are to prepare everyone for what's to come there are going to be tests that are going to come in the last days for you and i and for everyone on planet earth these three angels messages are warnings of mercy and appeal for us to respond and to turn our hearts back to God and to turn our lives over to him completely before it's too late. And so uh, let's take a look at question number three. Um, in order to know what the mark of the beast is, um, I, I'm sure many of you guys are probably wanting to know what the mark of the beast is. That's a very intriguing study indeed. But today uh, we're, we're gonna be, in order to understand what the mark of the beast is, we need to understand what the beast is or who the beast is. So today we're gonna to be kind of setting the foundation here, understanding who is this beast that's gonna enforce everyone to receive a mark in the last days. And uh, Chase is gonna be sharing on our next week's study, I believe, he's gonna be studying, he's gonna be going over the mark of the beast subject. So tune in for that next week if you wanna know more about this. So this is gonna be like a two part, um, uh, session here where we talk about the, today we'll be talking about the beast next week we'll be talking about the mark of the beast and so uh, keep that in mind and we hope that you could join us for next week as well but let's take a look at what who is this beast and uh, in order for us to answer that question we need to allow the bible to give us the answer you don't want to get the answer from me you don't want to get an answer from somebody's opinion but we want to get it from the bible and so let's take a look and see what the Bible says that a beast represents. And so let's go to Daniel chapter seven, verse 17. Daniel chapter seven, verse 17. And uh, I'm gonna ask Courageous if she can read that for us. Daniel chapter seven, verse 17. And um, Pastor, I'm not able to do it right now because I'm not even at home. Okay, that's fine, all right. Um, let's go ahead and go to the next person uh, on our list. Uh, Courtney, are you able to read that for us? Daniel chapter 7, verse 17. Yes, I can. That's not a problem. All right. Thank you. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. Okay. So very clearly, we see in Daniel 7, there was, if you know what that chapter is about, it talks about four beasts that come out of the sea. There's a lion with eagle's wings. There's a bear with three ribs in his mouth. There's a four-headed leopard with four wings. And there was a dreadful beast with 10 horns and um, 10 crowns, I believe. Actually, no, 10 horns. So I'm sorry, 10 crowns comes in Revelation. But we see that th these four beasts come out of the sea. And Daniel says in Daniel 7 verse 17 that these four beasts represent what? Four kings. Four kings, that's right. They represent four kings. And uh, if you look at Daniel chapter um, 7, verse 23, it goes further to say that the fourth beast, that dreadful beast with ten horns and iron teeth, um, it says that the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. 
And so we see in the Bible, uh, a beast represents a king or a kingdom. Okay, mm -hmm. so is that clear based on what we just looked at today? If, if it is, give me a thumbs up. If you, if you trust what you learn straight from the Bible and it's clear that a beast power represents a king or kingdom. Okay, very good. Uh, Courageous is giving me a thumbs up. Um, for those of you guys that are not giving me a thumbs up, let's look at another text. Daniel chapter 8, verse 21. Daniel chapter 8, verse 21. It talks about uh, the ram and the he-goat. They're both fighting one another. And the Bible tells us in that very chapter that the ram represents the kingdom of Medo-Persia. And the he-goat with the prominent horn between his eyes represents the kingdom of Greece. And they are both duking it out. And of course, the kingdom of Greece prevailed. And it says that that horn that was prominent between the eyes of that he-goat, which is Greece, was the first king of Grecia, which was Alexander the Great. And so we see that prophecy uh, presents a beast to represent a king or kingdom or a power. And so that's what a beast represents. So when we go back to Revelation chapter 13, it describes this beast that comes up out of the sea. So a beast in Bible prophecy represents a kingdom or a nation or a power. And so let's take a look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. This gets very interesting now. Uh, as we see this beast in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. And uh, this is the very beast that uh, is our primary focus for tonight. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. And we're going to have uh, Roger, if you could read that for us. Revelation 13, 1. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. Okay. So the Bible identifies this beast as a beast that comes up out of the sea with seven heads, ten horns, and upon the horns ten crowns, the name of blasphemy. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to try to find all these identifying markers or characteristics of this beast power. And we're going to see, we're going to identify them, and we're going to see what entity that we know in existence today matches all these characteristics and who it's pointing to. Who is the Bible pointing to as this beast power that's going to be a major player in the last days? Um, we're going to take a look at that. And so first of all, we see that this beast um, that is described, that Roger just read for us, it comes out of where? Where does it come out of, this beast? The sea. The sea, that's right. It comes up out of the sea. And so what does the sea represent? When, when this beast comes up out of the sea, what does that mean? And what does the sea represent? Well, we go to Revelation chapter 17, verse 15. And um, I'll go ahead and read that. Revelation chapter 17, verse 15. And it says here, uh, the waters which thou seest where the whore sitteth are peoples, multitudes, and tongues. And so we see that this beast 
that comes up out of the sea, Revelation chapter 17, verse 15 tells us what the waters represent, which this beast comes up out of. In verse 15, it says, the waters which thou sawest are peoples, multitudes, and tongues. So what does that mean? Well, if a beast represents a kingdom that comes up out of the sea, and the sea represents people, it would mean that this kingdom that we're studying about today, this beast or this kingdom that comes up out of the sea, comes up out of a place where there's a lot of people, is densely populated region. Uh, does that make sense? Based on what we yeah. put together? So we see that this beast comes up out of the sea. The Bible tells us what the sea represents. It represents uh, peoples, multitudes, and tongues. And so this beast power comes up in a densely populated region, a densely populated area. So this kingdom comes up in a place where there was many people and it arises from the midst of this populated area. So that's the first point, identifying characteristic of this beast power. So I encourage you guys to write these points down because uh, I, I believe we're gonna go over all 10 points and you can check me afterwards and check Bible prophecy afterwards and see how these things all line up and see if it's so, okay? Uh, but uh, if you have a pen or paper, write this down or, or write it up on your uh, word processor if you have your computer in front of you. Uh, so the first point, it, it rises up out of the sea, which, is, which means that this nation comes up out of a very densely populated region. Okay, the next is... Uh, who gives this beast its power and position? We look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 2. And uh, Chase, if you wouldn't mind reading that for us, Revelation 13, verse 2. Who gives this beast its power and position? And uh, we'll read verse 2 to find out. Revelation 13 and verse 2. And here is what it says. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Aha. Uh -huh. So notice here it talks about this beast and its description, but it says furthermore, who gave this beast its power, seat, and great authority? The devil. The devil, that's right. Or the dragon, right? The dragon is the one that gave this beast its power, its seat, and great authority. And so how do we know that the dragon is a devil? You go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, which tells you that that, that dragon was Satan, the devil. And so you could take a look at that uh, text that proves that the dragon is Satan. But we see that this dragon gives this beast its seat, its power, and great authority. So in other words, this power to receive the, the power and authority and the seat of the dragon here on planet Earth, this power must have existed for quite some time. And not only just existed, but its power must have been sustained for a long period of time because the devil is behind it. This, this beast is dragon-powered. The dragon is sustaining its power and so if the dragon is behind it, and, and the Bible tells us that the devil is the king of this world, he's a prince of this world, a prince of, this, a prince of the air, a prince of this world, that he has taken control of this world from Adam and Eve. 
And so now he is actually fueling the power for this beast. I'd like to kind of picture this as the, the dragon being the puppet master and the beast is the puppet. Right? The beast does what the dragon tells it to do and the beast actually gives its power, seat, and great authority because it, it, it takes that prominent position in earth where all the world follows the bidding of this beast. And so we see that it's, it's dragon power. So the dragon gives its power, position, and seat and great authority. And so the study in our, our study guide tells us that this dragon was also known to be in Revelation chapter 12, the dragon that tried to kill Jesus when Jesus was a baby. And of course, you know that that was King Herod, who was actually a, a Roman king. He served Rome for the pagan Roman empire. And he slew all the babies in Bethlehem trying to kill Jesus. Remember that? And so we see that uh, this beast, this dragon, this dragon is none other than uh, the, 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 the devil who's working through pagan Rome. And so pagan Rome, uh, it says that it was ruled by emperors, but as the Roman Empire uh, transitioned into the papal Rome, it was ruled by popes but they say that the position of the pope is the same title as the caesars and so it just has a different face it has a different religious guise now and so we see that the power still is prominent and the power still being sustained from that transition from pagan rome to papal rome which i find very interesting and history attests to this uh, that this that the roman uh, empire transitioned to the Roman church. The Roman church still exists today. And that's uh, in line with prophecy. And so we see that the, the, the beast power is none other than the, the papacy, the Roman Catholic church. And we're going we're gonna to look at more evidence for that. But let's take a look at the next point. Number one, we found that this beast comes up out of the sea, densely populated region. Number two, the dragon gives this beast its power, seat, and great authority. So it's dragon-powered. Okay, and the third, the influence of this beast. How far-reaching is the influence of this beast's power? We look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 3. And uh, Sherry, do you, are you able to read that for us? Yes. Okay. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. Okay, so in other words, we see that this beast power had received a deadly wound. And we'll talk about that some other time. But we see that it says that the whole world, how did they uh, receive this beast? How did they, um, what do they think about this beast? They marveled. They marveled after it. And in fact, they were, they were wondering and marveling after this beast. They were in awe of this beast's power. And so in other words, uh, no one would question that the mid Middle Ages, the papacy was indeed a worldwide power. Um, in fact, the, world, the word Catholic actually means universal. And so we can see that this fits the point of the papacy very clearly with this third characteristic 
that it has far-reaching influence around the world. And uh, you know that, that that's even more the case now when you actually hear about political leaders in the news who, when they have problems or when they need help, who they turn to? They turn to Pope Francis to come and, you know, mend, the, mend, mend peace treaties and to, you know, provide help um, in, in dire circumstances. And he's, he's there. And um, he's prominently there in the news as well. So it's very interesting how we see that he's a religious figure, but political leaders turn to him for help. And so uh, the influence is clearly there. And Pope Francis, I believe, is the only pope that was on Rolling Stone, Rolling Stone magazine. And so uh, very influential. A, a lot of people think uh, very positively of him, more so than President Trump. But let's take a look at uh, the next attribute. What comes up out of the mouth of the beast? We look at uh, Revelation chapter 13, verse 6. Revelation chapter 13, verse 6. What comes, up, what comes up out of the mouth of the beast? And Revelation 13, verse 6, I'll read this one. It says, And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in the earth. And so we see that what comes out of the mouth of the beast? Let's go ahead and write in your chat. Blasphemy. Blasphemy, yes. Blasphemy comes up out of the mouth of this beast. What is blasphemy? Um, if you guys can give me a definition of what blasphemy is, um, you guys could write in, your ch in the chat or, or state it if you are, are brave enough to. But how would you describe blasphemy to someone who doesn't know what that means? Speaking against God. Speaking. Yeah. Okay, speaking against God. Okay, good. All right, so, you know, the Bible actually tells us uh, examples of blasphemy. Okay, Courtney says, speaking against Christ or the Holy Spirit. Yeah, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's, a, that's a different uh, thing. It, it says that, in fact, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven you. The Bible tells us. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's definitely along the lines of that. But the Bible tells us what blasphemy is. You remember when uh, Jesus was healing that man that was uh, the paralytic? And they let him down through the roof, his four friends, or I don't know if it was four friends, but his friends let him down the roof. And uh, Jesus uh, looked upon that man with love and he said, your sins are forgiven you. Remember that? And then the, the religious leaders and the Pharisees were very offended by that. They said, who's able to forgive sins but God, right? And uh, they said that that's blasphemy. And... That's true. If a man claims that he could forgive sins, that is blasphemy. But was Jesus a man? Yes, he was a man, but no. was God as well. And so Jesus had the right and the prerogative to forgive sins. And um, so blasphemy, number one, is claiming to forgive sins. Okay, does this beast's power claim to forgive sins on earth? Does this beast's power claim to say, you know, you must come to me to and confess your sins to me, and I will forgive your sins. Um, what, what, a, what a blasphemous thing for a person to claim upon himself that only belongs to God, that prerogative only belongs to God, but yet this beast power claims to forgive sins. Um, Don't a, a priest in the Catholic Church claim to 
forgive sin? Yes, the, 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 the priests uh, claim to forgive sins as well, yes. And that is not, that is not their prerogative. That that's only belongs well, that's to blasphemy. That is blas well, that's blasphemy. Yes. And so blasphemy is claiming to forgive sins. Uh, the second definition of blasphemy, uh, you remember, um, it says when a person, um, uh, says that they are God on earth, right? When Jesus said that he was before Abraham was, I am, and he's claiming that he is God on earth. Um, they try to stone Jesus you know, for blasphemy because they say, you can't claim to be God. And they try to do away from the stone. Of, but of course, Jesus was God. Um, and so here's this power who speaks blasphemies. How does he speak blasphemies? Number one, he claims to forgive sins. Number two, he claims to be God on earth. He claims to be uh, revered and worshipped or, or regarded as God. You know, it's very interesting when um, Pope Benedict, before Pope Francis, uh, went to visit America, he met George W. Bush. I don't know if you guys remember that. But the, uh, the reporters um, wanted to get um, a comment from President, then President George W. Bush, and they asked him, Oh, when you looked at Pope Benedict's face, what did you see? And Pope, uh, and, and then George W. Bush says, I saw God. And so, you know, it's amazing how people regard this figure who's just a man as God on earth. And nobody is God but God himself and Jesus himself. But yet this, uh, these popes and, and the papacy all throughout history have claimed to be God on earth. They claim to forgive sins. And if you don't believe me, uh, here's some quotations straight from their sources. Um, and this is in your study guide, so you can look it up. This is not something that I'm pulling out of my hat or anything like that, but you can find it in your study guide as well, these references. Uh, but the papacy boldly claims the power to forgive sins. Notice in their catechism, uh, the Catholic catechism, they say, does the priest truly forgive the sins? Or does he only declare that they're remitted? And their answer, the priest does really and truly forgive the sins in virtue of the power given to him by Christ. Now, where in the Bible does it say that Christ gives somebody, a man, power to forgive people's sins? Uh, there's no, no biblical mandate for that. Um, and it also says... The papacy also claims that the Pope is equal with God. And Pope Leo Thirteenth said, We the Popes hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty. Wow. So there they say from their own mouth that they take the place of God Almighty here on earth. And so it, they should be regarded as such. So um, another startling statement about the Pope, they said, Thou art another God on earth. So point number four that we talked about, that this beast power speaks blasphemies, it fits the bill. They fit, they, they fit this bill to claim that they are God, to claim that they can forgive sins. Um, does, that, does that make sense? Is that clear? If so, give me a thumbs up. Um, and if, if I see a thumbs up, that means that's good to move on, unless you want to say something or comment about that. Okay, thumbs up. Okay, we'll move on. All right, so the, no, the next characteristic, uh, point number five. 
how long would this beast rule? And we take a look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 5. And uh, we're going to go ahead and have, let's see, um, Becky, glad you're with us. Uh, Becky, I don't know if you're able to, but would you be willing to read Revelation 13, verse 5? And you can unmute your mic if you're able to. Okay, well, Becky, I think your, your sound is a little off, so we'll just go ahead and uh, skip you. And Courtney, you're next on the list. Would you mind reading Revelation 13, verse 5? Yes, um, it says, And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Okay, so this beast power exercises its authority, and who gave him his authority? We learned in ver verse 2, it was the dragon, right? The dragon gives him his seat, power, and great authority. And so how long does this beast exercise its authority? For how long? It says what? Based on what Courtney read. 42 months. 42 months. 42 months. Now, uh, of course, in Bible uh, prophecy, a day equals a year. So you've got to convert 42 months to days. And, of course, in the Jewish calendar, there's 30 days in a month. So what you simply do is hit, take 42, multiply it by 30. And what does that come out to? Anybody good at math? 42 times 30, uh, what does that come out to? 1,260. 12. 1,260, that's right, 1,260. And so that's days. So in, in prophecy, a day is equal a literal year. So 1,260 days is actually 1,260 years. And we covered this before in our Daniel study. Um, about the 70 weeks and the 1260, I mean, I'm sorry, the 2300 day prophecy. But we see that this beast power reigns and exercises its authority for 42 months, also known as 1260 years. So 1260 years, this beast power has reigned supreme. And if you actually think about what period is this referring to? History actually records it. Uh, in the history books, it, it, this period of time, 1,260 years, is known as the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages, where this, this uh, Roman Catholic Church had the zenith of its power, had complete authority over all the people, and exercised that authority to the degree that many people were killed if they were not following along with the program of the papacy. And so we see that um, you know, the worldwide power of the papal, uh, papal Roman Empire became official in AD 538. And Emperor Justinian, uh, he made a decree to make the papal power supreme. And the papacy was dealt to um, this, this, uh, this, this power and it was exercising that power for this period of time. Um, of course, the power ended, uh, 1260 years, um, brings us to the year 1798. Uh, it started ruling from 538, and it ended in 1798. 
and of course, General Berthier, Napoleon's general, arrested Pope Pius VI, and he was taken into captivity and he died. And so that was the deadly wound that this beast received that was spoken of in Revelation 13, and all the world wondered after the beast. And so the, the papacy never really fully recovered from that, uh, from that mortal wound that took place at the end of the 42 months. Uh, because if, if it was regaining its full strength, uh, it would exercise its power again like it did before. But it's gaining its power. It's, 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 it's a healing. That wound is healing, as Bible prophecy tells us. And so um, 538, 1798 is the exact time period, 1260 years that the papacy was in rule uh, at the height of its power during the Dark Ages, during the Middle Ages. Okay, um, so 10, uh, number 10, question number 10, what happened to the beast after the 42 months? Okay, so after the 42 months, 538 to 1798, this, this beast power, this papal power gained its full supremacy and was exercising its power, but something happened at the end to stop its power. And so what happened? Uh, we see in Revelation chapter 13, verse 3, uh, somebody read this, but I'll read this again just for a uh, state of repetition. Um, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. So here's this beast power who sustains a deadly wound, a mortal wound, almost dying. And what took place? Uh, well, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, the French general, Napoleon, sent his general to arrest the Pope and remove him from the, from the Vatican. And they imprisoned the Pope, and the Pope was imprisoned, and he died in captivity. After that, the office of the Pope was no more until it was reinstituted in 1928 by Mussolini. Mussolini reinstated the, the Pope's office. And uh, so it says that the deadly wound is, was healing. Uh, from that ordeal from 1798 and the, the papacy has never fully recovered from that but we see bible prophecy tells us that it will regain its full strength once again and when it does that's when things will get very very interesting um, in regards to what will take place later on in chapter 13 and so um question number 11 is the beast a, a religious power? We know, so we, we know that uh, he has sway with the, with the political world, but is it a religious power? Uh, let's take a look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 15. And uh, we'll have uh, Roger read that for us. Revelation 13, verse 15. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Uh -huh. So is this beast a religious power? What would you say? Yes or no? Well, this beast is a religious power because it is forcing everyone to what? 
worship, worship. right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, does the, does the government have any business in telling you who to worship, how to worship, and when to worship? Does the government no. have any business in doing that? No, no. No, absolutely not. Because we live in a, a country that believes in religious liberty, right? So everyone can worship according to the dictates of their own conscience. And that's what makes America great. But of course, we see that in Bible prophecy, that's changing or it's going to change. Uh, we already see some, some how's affecting our churches, don't we, with this whole COVID, COVID situation, uh, how churches are restricted now in, in doing certain things. Um, and, and, and bear in mind, I believe that we should follow safety measures in regards to COVID-19. I'm not saying that we should disregard that. But I find it very interesting that how the religious world is being affected in America here today due to this whole pandemic. And uh, they, they, their argument for doing so, for restricting churches from meeting or giving uh, many restrictions about whether they, I think in California, they can't even sing in churches. Um, you know, some churches cannot meet, they're, they're shut down. Uh, we see all these things taking place. And what, what's, the, what's the reason for that? What do they say is the reason or basis for why they do that? They say it's for the good of everyone, right? It's for the good of, for the, the well-being of, of everyone. You know, the same argument is going to be used in the last days to disregard our religious liberties. They're going to say it's for the good of everyone, so you better follow along with the program or else. And that's exactly what Revelation 13 is talking about. We're, we're heading in that direction. And so, the, so you know, it's, it's really interesting how we see things developing. We don't know how soon it's going to take place. I'm not going to, I'm, there's no way that we set a time to, to when this is going to take place, but we see it already taking place. And all it's going to take is a religious figure to actually enforce a way that everyone ought to worship and get backed by the government to do so. You know, it's interesting that the book uh, by Malachi Martin, um, it says, speaking of the papacy's power and influence, um, it, he, said, he wrote in his book, The Keys of This Blood, and he's a Vatican insider, so he knows what he's talking about. He says, the Pope is the best known person in the 20th century. And of course, we're living in the 21st century, but this is when he wrote it back, uh, a while back, and has formed personal relationships with the leaders of 91 countries as prepared for worldwide rule now. And so you see that the Pope has so much influence in 91 countries in the world. And could it be with that influence that he can sway the masses of people to wonder after the beast, as Revelation chapter 13 speaks of? I believe that will happen. I believe it is happening. Uh, and so we need to wake up and we need to really see how prophecy is fulfilling before our very eyes and we're getting close to that point where revelation 13 which we're living in right now is about to be fulfilled and so we need to really commit our lives to the lord we need to start uh, praying and, and 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 letting go of things that that get in the way between our relationship with god and give our whole allegiance our whole heart and seek after god like we've never sought him before because this is the time for us to do that. This is a time for us to be right with God. This is a time for our relationship to grow stronger and closer to him. And this is not a time for us to think that, okay, this is going to 
this is going to pass by. I could continue living my life as I please. No, friends, these things are, are things that are clearly shouting out at us, hey, prophecy is being fulfilled. Wake up. And so uh, it's, it's very important for us to, to, to keep that in mind. Question number 12, as we're getting close to our, the end of our study here, and we're, do, we're doing good on time, so we'll make it. Uh, what does the beast do to the saints? Okay, this is talking about God's people. God's people are the saints of the Most High. What does the beast do to God's people? What, can, what, what will he do? Revelation chapter 13, verse 7. And uh, Sherry, would you read that for us, please? Okay. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Yes. So we see that what does this beast power do to the saints, to God's people? It's war. He wages war against them. He wages war against them, and he wants to overcome them and, and, and uh, persecute them. And so we see that what's going to take place in the last days is that just like Daniel's three friends, uh, because of their stand for God, because they would not be swayed to, to go into the worship that the, that the political leaders are trying to make everyone uh, go, go along with, because they are standing firm for God, what happened to them? They were persecuted. They were thrown into the fire furnace. And so we see the same thing can be expected from God's people, friends. But we don't, need, we don't need to fear that because when we have love for God and our love for him is so deep and our love for him is so strong, you know, we will not fear what will happen to us. Um, if you remember the disciples, uh, when, they, when, when the disciples uh, were uh, poured out with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, they were preaching with power. They were preaching with boldness. And the Holy Spirit was upon them. And the, people, and the religious leaders brought them before them and said, you know, you stop preaching about Jesus. And to teach you a lesson, we're going to beat you up. And they beat them up. And they, they, they hurt them. And, and they sent them their way. But how did they react to that, Peter? and the They rejoiced. They, they, rejoiced. Were, they were rejoicing. They were saying that it was yeah. an honor to suffer for Christ's mm -hmm. name. Now, how could they mm -hmm. respond that way uh, when they went through such an ordeal, when somebody was hurting them? It's because their love for Jesus ran so deep that they didn't care what happened to them. You know, um, and that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing. We need to have that kind of relationship with Jesus. We need to, and we can have that. We can cultivate that relationship with him now. And when, and when we have that love for him and he's so close to us and we sense his presence with us all the time and we have so much things to be, to be thankful for, for what he's done for us. And we, we, we turn to him all the time as if he was our closest friend. Nothing can sway us. Nothing can, can uh, separate us from the love of God and his love and our love for him. And so, you know, the saints are those who, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says that uh, they love not their lives until, they not, love not their lives unto death because they love God more. And they'd rather honor him and glorify him uh, in their life. And so I pray that we can also have that same sort of stance for the Lord. And so we see uh, in question number 13, the final point uh, is what is the mysterious number that identifies the beast? In Revelation chapter 13, 
verse 18. Uh, let's have uh, Chase read that for us. Revelation 13, 18. Here is the wisdom, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Okay. All right, so you see that uh, number 666, many people kind of think, what, what, do, what do people think when they think of 666? Just type in the chat. When, when people think about 666, what do they think that means? The mark of the beast. Okay, okay people say it's the mark of the beast, okay. What else? Um, yeah, it says three scores uh, and six and six, yeah. But some people actually think that that's an occult number. <laughs> they think that that's a, the devil's number. Uh, but in actuality, if you look at what the Bible says, the Bible tells us that is a number of a man. It's a number of a man. It's a number of the beast, but it's a number of a man. Right, and so what is the what is this man that is referring to? And the pope. How, what was that? <laughs> the pope. The pope. Okay. All right. So when you actually look at the title of the pope, oh, the okay, that the pope's title is what? Do you guys know what the pope's title is? He has it on his mitre. He wears that mitre, and across the mitre there's a a title that refers to him. Um, the title is, I'll, I'll type it as I say it, but it's Vicarious Philidae. And uh, make, let me make sure I'm spelling that right. Vicarious Philidae. Okay, so that's how it's spelled, that title. Vicarious Philidae, that's Latin. And that means vicar to the, to the son of God. That's what it means in Latin. And so that's the title. That's pretty much the title that's, that claims, this man who claims that title claims to be God on earth. He is God, representing God on earth. That's what that title means, vicarious philidae. Um, such a blasphemous title to assume for oneself. Um, but he, he claims that title. And if you actually look at the... Um, the Latin alphabet. Every letter on the Latin alphabet has a numerical value. And so this is similar to the Roman numerals, right? So when you actually see the I, it means one. Right? If there's uh, three I's, is three. Uh, v is uh, five, right? Uh, but when you actually uh, calculate all the uh, numerical values in this title, like Curious Philidae, uh, and you add them up, uh, it's very interesting. It totals out to 666, the number of a man. And so we see that the book of Revelation is saying that the Roman numerical value of the letters of his name will equal 666, and this fits the identification of the papacy, and that gives us point number 10 of this beast power. And so let's review these things really quickly as we're closing here. We see number one, this beast power rises up out of the sea. Uh, the papacy rose up out of a densely populated area. 
point number two, it receives its power, seat, and authority from the dragon. It's a religious political power that exercises ultimate authority, um, which is received from the dragon, which is uh, Satan himself. Uh, point number three, it becomes a worldwide power, so it has worldwide influence, and all the world uh, follows after it. Uh, number four, it is guilty of blasphemy, uh, claiming to forgive sins, claiming to be God on earth. Uh, it rules for 42 prophetic months, 1260 years, the dark ages. Uh, point number six, it receives a deadly wound that heals. Um, that took place in 1798. Um, and it's a religious power that receives worship. And uh, that's very much the case with uh, this this papal power. It persecutes God's saints, um, and it has the mysterious number 666, and it's led by one supreme man. So that's points number eight through 10. And so um, why am I stating this? Uh, first of all, I'm not stating this to bash on our Catholic brothers and sisters. Um, I believe that many Catholics uh, have that sincere, beautiful faith and love for, for God and their godly, loving Catholic uh, Christians that God counts as his children as well. And so I'm not bashing Catholics. Um, you know, there, there's even been um, good Catholic priests and leaders who've done very good things. Uh, I'm not bashing them. This is not an attack against the Catholic friends. This is an attack upon the devil. And the devil will have an institution that, that, this the papacy represents we're, we're talking about an institution not people we're talking about this organization not people uh, but this organization this this institution is going to uh, do things and, and it has done things we can't we can't get past that it has done things that um, testify to what bible prophecy talks about and it will do things in the future and so, um, you know, there are sincere Protestants and Catholics, Jews and non-Christians all alike. And um, you know, the, the purpose of sharing these messages is to call everyone out of Babylon, to call everyone out of confusion. God is calling everyone from every different denomination under one fold, under one shepherd. God is calling us out of confusion and he's calling us into his truth, the truth of God's word. And there are many people who are sincere believers, but they don't really know the truth entirely of God's word. And some of you guys have probably learned things along the way as we've studied uh, some deep truths that have been really eye-opening. And praise the Lord for that. God has used your past religious experience as stepping stones to lead you to this point where you can discover more truth as found in his word. And Jesus says that you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And that's what Jesus wants for every single person on planet Earth. He wants everyone to be set free from the deceptions and the false teachings that the, that the devil is putting out there. And it's only by the truth of God's word that the whole world will know the truth as it is in Jesus. And by knowing the truth, they will be ready to make that stand for Jesus when that final test comes. And so, you know, we, we, we have to go with what the Bible says. And the Bible does not sugarcoat it. The Bible clearly tells us that there's a power that's going to play a major role in the last days. And we don't want to be swayed by that power. But we want to be swayed by what God 
says and, and be followers of Christ and, and his word. And so um, let's thank God that in his word, he has exposed Satan's ugly plans to destroy all mankind. And uh, we uh, today learned about the beast power, and who the beast is. Uh, next week, we're going to be learning about the mark of the beast. So I really encourage you to uh, tune into that next time so that you can uh, really get the whole big um, picture here of uh, this, this beast power and the mark of the beast and how that is important for us to understand. I want to thank you so much for joining us for this weekly podcast. If you like what you heard and you would like to get more resources like this, you can check out our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash BibleVision777. We also have a Facebook page, which you can check out, facebook.com forward slash BibleVision777. And if you'd like to contact us for questions or inquiries or special events, you can contact us at BibleVision777 at gmail.com. Have a blessed day.